Welcome back to Like to Know It Influencer Radio. I'm your host, Amber Vinsbox. Today, we're in New York City for Fashion Week, speaking with one of the pioneers of the influencer industry, my longtime friend, Wendy, of Wendy's Lookbook. Wendy was a YouTube star turned blogger, turned Instagrammer, and then a Like to Know It favorite, and now she's a Manhattan retail pioneer. Wendy is always doing things first and doing things most thoughtfully. To know Wendy is to love her. The content she shares across all platforms, including her physical location in New York City, is ethereal. It radiates joy, courage, resilience, and hope. Wendy had an unexpected start into the world, and I'm so grateful to have this platform to share her story of personal triumph. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is a bit different for several reasons. Our special guest so graciously shares her very personal and very painful story with us. We dive into some sensitive topics that have impacted her life, like sexual abuse, physical abuse, foster care, and PTSD. This episode will be so valuable to you as an adult, but it is absolutely not suitable for children's ears. So if you have a child in the car or in the room, we ask that you please save this podcast for a more private listening experience. Wendy, the world gets to watch you on digital media almost every single day. And from back in 2011, from your YouTube channel that now 43 million people have seen to your blog and your Instagram, and now you're like to know it. And you're this beautiful shining light. And I'm excited for people to get to meet you today and to get to know your story. I think so many people wonder, what did she do to earn this and what prepared her for this? And where I would love to start is just understanding a little bit about you and where you were born and about your family. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for having me today. No, really, thank you so much. Um, So I started blogging in 2011. That's when we met, right, around that time. And before blogging, I was actually a banker. I was a banker for about five years, worked in the corporate world, really, really loved my customers, but just couldn't really, couldn't sell things I didn't really believe in, more or less. And after that, I quit and I wanted to do something creative. So I started taking acting classes, taking metal making classes, a sewing class, a singing class. And I think I was trying to play an instrument as well. Didn't do any of those things right or was good at any of them. But I enjoyed acting the most. I just felt that it was just like free therapy. And I, I loved it. And I always wanted to go after the most interesting characters, the most troubled characters more than anything else. And I had such such a blast doing it. And I remember all the times where we would go on auditions and it's just a room and you do your lines and there's no feedback. And at the time, my partner then, I, I went back home and I said, you know what, Like, is there any way you can film me and then I can learn about all the things I'm doing wrong and I can get better every time when we audition again. And he said, oh yeah, I'll film you, but I'll put you on YouTube. I was like, YouTube? Like, what was that? And back then, there was not that many YouTube channels. And honestly, not that many that were dedicated strictly for fashion. It was more, they were sharing their everyday looks, coupled with makeup tutorials and and other type of content. I'm not very good at anything else, but I always loved fashion. And I thought, you know, let me create a show where we can have fashion be the focus. And that's kind of how we started. And then four videos in, we did 24 ways to wear, 25 ways to wear a scarf. And that launched, you know, my career. So this was back in 2011 when the first video came out. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, it's interesting because just this week, YouTube has announced YouTube slash fashion. And so there's a whole destination now for beauty videos and fashion videos. So, you know, today's user can't imagine a time where they didn't go to YouTube or to Instagram in order to find that type of content. But you were really one of the first to create um, that kind of space on YouTube. Had you seen other formats like what you were putting out? You know, honestly, at the time, there were so many beauty tutorials. And before we basically did our first YouTube video, I watched a lot of YouTube videos. And we knew what was successful in a sense where you're breaking through the fourth wall, you're speaking straight to your viewers, and kind of learning from the best practices from the beauty side, we knew that people liked a tutorial-esque format. How do you make fashion a tutorial format? And that's how we developed pairings, which is we took a blouse that you're wearing, the jacket that I'm wearing, and we would basically style it three different ways. And that was not only help other people style, but also to recycle, rewear, and making it more, I think, approachable and fun. And that was the bread and butter of the channel at the time. And on top of that, we would do very, very creative videos, like 25 Ways to Wear a Scarf. And that's why it was called Wendy's Lookbook. You know, I don't even know how that came up, to be honest with you. I think it was like, it was like at one time it was like from Wendy. That was before I knew it was Sincerely Jewels, you know? Like, so it was like, it was, um, it was, I think it was a whole bunch of things. And then I think uh, James mentioned something about like lookbook. I was like, okay, whatever. And then we just did it. But honestly, the name wasn't important. It was just like the content, right? The content. Content has always been king back then until to today. But we just wanted to focus more on the content. And the name kind of was there and then it kind of flew with it from there. So tell us about getting the video together, the 25 ways to wear a scarf. Mm-hmm. And that's the video I'm referencing that has 43 million views. So did you already know 25 ways or yeah, you had to research yeah. this? <laughs> um, I, at the time, I think my partner asked if I could do 50 ways. And I said, no, but I could do 25 ways. <laughs> and I think it was just a, a blend of observations from street style to my own ways to wearing things. And but at the time, I was living in San Francisco. So it was super cold all the time. So scarves were just a part of our repertoire with comes to fall and on to winter. And so um, so for me, it was just a kind of second nature that I loved scarf, always loved scarves. But I didn't really see a destination where I can see all of the styling in one place. So I think that's where the video really took life of its own. And at what point did you decide to launch Wendy's Lookbook mm-hmm. as a blog? Yeah. So I think it was about three months after the channel was really up and running. And I remember I really wanted the content of the blog to be very different from the content on YouTube, mainly because I didn't want readers fatigue or, you know, any type of uh, people to see the same content twice in two different destinations. So every time when I would post a outfit on the blog, uh, it would be styled differently on YouTube. And that was the format all the time, just to engage with our, our viewers and to make sure that we have fresh content with them every time. And so we started posting on the blog, I think, three to four times a week and posted on YouTube once and twice a week. It was massive. <laughs> when you were doing this, was this because of your aspirations to be an actress? That's a really good question. I don't think anyone's asked me that. No, and I, I think it was just so much fun, to be honest with you. I think... The acting side for me was just very therapeutic. I didn't mind going to acting class just for the sake of practicing, you know, like it wasn't, I didn't want to be like like a star and like that. I just really love, I think the craft of it more than anything else. But you know, all the things I've learned in acting really helped me with blogging and especially YouTube. Like for example, I knew that, you know, the camera receives energy very differently, right? So, and that's what I learned from from acting and also stage acting, which is that you got to perform 10 to 15 levels higher than what, how you feel for the camera to receive how you normally are looking, you know? 
and then also your voice, you have to project even more when it comes to filming at times, certain things. So I think all those things really prepared me for the world that I didn't know existed, which was the blog and, and the YouTube side. So as you pursue YouTube and blogging, were you still working or mainly just going to school? Yeah. So at the time I quit my job already and we were just surviving off of savings. And about four or five months into it, we ran out of our savings and we packed all of our stuff in a Camry and drove it across the country. At the time, the guy I was dating, his parents lived in Chicago. So we drove from uh, San Francisco to Chicago. We sold everything. And on the drive past Nevada, we got a job offer in LA to work for a YouTube, basically CMC. So it's, it's like a, a huge YouTube channel, basically. And then I think we made it to Chicago, said hi to his parents, and then flew back to L.A. Yeah, and then that was it. And that's how I ended up being in L.A. for five years. So with the channel that invited you to come on, was that like a guaranteed salary? Or like, how are you going to make money yeah, with this channel? You know, that was Style Hall. I'm no longer with Style Hall. But at the time, we were signed on as creatives. So we were signed on to help them create content for their own channels and also to help build out their programming. We were with them for maybe under a year. James was with them for maybe a little longer. And then we decided to just go our own ways and just really grow the, the channel the way we wanted to grow. Yeah. And so with your revenue at that time, because you guys were both working on your content. Yes. And so how are you paying bills at that early stage? You know, honestly, we got really lucky. We were able to monetize fairly early in the lifespan of a blogger and of, of a YouTuber. But I think within eight months, we were already monetizing enough to pay our rent. You know, back then too, when it comes to fashion, it's, it's different how it is now where, you know, I think as a fashion blogger or content creator, you're up with the latest trends and you have like the most beautiful outfits and everything. Back then it wasn't like that, right? I mean, I was selling stuff on eBay. I loved eBay and I've always loved eBay. But for every new bag I bought, I sold two bags on eBay. And that was how I was able to fund a lot of the new items that were coming in to showcase. And I still do that to this day. I still, I, I sell a lot of things on the real, real. I just, I like the cleansing process and I like to have things very kind of clean and tight. So that carries with me till today. You know, Wendy, something that I found out about you as we became friends over time was that your experience as a child was very different to my experience and, and many influencers experience. And when you kind of talk about cleaning out and being lean, I think about the things that you've told me about a very lean experience as a child that was ultimately put in foster care. Can you tell me a little bit about just kind of where you were born and what it was like growing up as Wendy? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was born in Vietnam, in Saigon, and I came over to the States. We immigrated to the States uh, when I was eight years old. And when we immigrated over to the States, I think it's honestly the immigrant story in a sense where we were struggling. We were very poor. Um, so we sewed and my parents worked in a sweatshop. And for me growing up, I loved fashion because I was around clothes all the time. And all the time meaning they had just hundreds and hundreds of pieces of clothes that they had to put together to sew for brands. And when they needed help, we, my brother and I would sit there and flip collars. So every time when you see a collar, there's two pieces that are within it and you need to actually turn it inside out to make it look like a collar. So as my parents were sewing so many other pieces, my brother and I would sit there and just flip collars all day long and just the ends of shirts and everything too. And so we would just sit here among piles of clothes. And I think my love for clothing and texture and feel really, I think it was that starting point for me because I saw so much of it. But because we were financially 
not at the state that I think my parents wanted us to be. Uh, we had an extra room in uh, basically at the apartment that we were living in. And my parents decided that they wanted to rent that apartment to one of my cousins. And, you know, and thinking back now, it's I would never do that now because I've been through what I've been through. But I understand where they're coming from because they really needed that extra funds. But the sexual abuse started with my cousin once he started living there. And so I was about 12 and uh, it, it kind of lasted till I was around 14. And then he ended up moving out and another cousin moved in and the abuse stopped with the first cousin, but then it got, it happened again with the second cousin. So I was abused again when I was um, 14 until basically 15 and a half. And around 15 and a half, I just didn't know who to turn to and I didn't know what to say. And I just, I honestly, I didn't know how to navigate the world outside of what I knew. And I didn't realize it was wrong. You know, I mean, if you ever watch um, that Michael Jackson documentary, um, when I was watching it and all these, you know, men now, back then they were boys, when they were sharing about their experience, I was able to really relate to what they were saying because that's exactly how I felt. Like, as in, you thought this was normal. Everything that was happening to you in your home with these two people that you trust, you think this is very normal. And I think when I was around 15, um, I was talking to a friend and then I was like, wait a minute you don't do that with your cousin? Like, that's just not normal. And she's like, no, that's not normal. That's when I realized it wasn't normal, you know? But I think I needed confirmation from an adult figure to know that that's not normal. Did your parents know this was going on? You know, unfortunately, they did. They saw it. Yeah, they saw him going in and out of my room every morning. Uh, they saw him being in places that he's not supposed to be. So I think a part of their process was that they were probably in denial. I, I mean, I just, I can't speak for them, but that must be how they were thinking during the time. So knowing that they saw it, I just couldn't, I didn't know whether I can trust them to share what was happening when they already saw what was happening. So I called the only person I knew and she happened to be a teacher. And I've met this woman a long time ago when I was eight years old. And all of a sudden I called her again after all these years. Um, and I said, oh, you know, this is happening to me at home. I don't know what to do. And she said, don't worry, I'm coming. And I thought, okay, so she's going to come and talk to my parents, you know, or like, I don't know. I, I mean, at this age, I thought she's coming to talk to my, I don't really know. So I said, okay, I'll wait for you to come. And she came and then she said, grab all your stuff and we're leaving. And I was like, okay, so I must be going to maybe staying at her house for a little bit. I, I honestly, I didn't know what was happening to be honest with you. I put all my stuff in a trash bag. We ran to her car. And at the time when we ran to her car, my parents' van pulled in. And that was the last time I saw them. Did they know what was happening? No, no one knew what was happening. No one knew. I mean, my poor brother was standing under a guava tree when this was happening. He had no idea what was happening. My brother was, you know, a, a tiny, tiny boy back then. So as I left in this car with this with this teacher that I, I knew, um, I stayed with her. And then I was basically put into a group home after that. What, what is that transition process? Did she just take you there? So what happened was that because she's a teacher, by law, she had to report abuse, right? So... I end up calling the only adult that was a teacher. You know what I mean? I mean, to really to really put it, like, I could have called anybody, but I, for some reason I called her, and she happened to be a teacher, and because of that she reported it, and because she reported it, social services had to get involved. Honestly, the sexual abuse part happened, you know, with my cousins, but there was a lot of physical abuse that happened with my parents, too. So social service have been to our place many times before with the, with the physical abuse stuff, and they've never done anything. So I just thought, that's how it worked. Do, do you know what I mean? Because that was my world. Yeah. So I thought they'll come and they'll just talk to you and then they'll leave. And that was it. How did they know to come to your house? Because we were living in Orange County and in the dead heat of summer, I was wearing long sleeves, uh, sweatshirts. 
I was always covered up. And my teachers were like, something's wrong with her because everyone's wearing T-shirts. And my arms were always covered. And so it's just, I was trying to cover like all the bruises I had. And then my teacher found out. And then, and I never wanted to go home. I always wanted to stay at school. Like I would find every excuse to like, I have to print out this paper and then I would stay there for a long, long amount of time. And I think some teachers were much better than other to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And I think some were like, there's something going on. So when they call social services, they'll come. And then, you know, this happens all the time. And I, as much as I love the system and as much as I believe in the system, I'm a part of the system. So I know what happens when you're inside of it. You know, your parents are going to be on their best behavior when a social worker is appointed at this time to come to your house, you know. And um, so when they're on the best behavior, I was terrified every time when my social worker left or that particular social worker visit left because then went back to how it was. And I was punished more for having that person come into the house. So all this, like, I don't think people talk about it, but it's very scary for the child to go through and not like the adult that's in the room. Yeah. So this wasn't an opportunity for you to then say, hey, there's all this other stuff going on. I've never said that before. ever. I've said this story so many times that I've never ever said it in that way. So thank you for listening. (laughs) Well, and this is a very, it's a very hard story to listen to. And the reason, you know, I, I found this story out deep into my friendship with Wendy, because when you know Wendy and you follow Wendy, (laughs) she is such a bright light. Um, and, and after hearing this, actually, um, I, I, I talked to Wendy and I said, you know, I'm so surprised by this story because <laughs> if I were you, I would be so angry and I would be so hurt. And, and, you know, I've often heard that hurt people hurt people. And that's not what I see from you. Um, you're so loving and you're so generous. And I would have never known this. But when you told me this story, it felt like, you know, there's an opportunity for even us as adults to think about the children that we're around and to be looking for these signs and these behaviors and these oddities. And those are the only little things that can peek out that these children can share. And, you know, as an adult, whether you're a a teacher or just someone who's around children that, you know, they don't have an opportunity to take care of themselves and they don't know the options. And then they're, they're also, you know, in your situation are then punished for sharing and so this felt like an important thing that's to share in the in this industry. And you know, as you you know, you talk about the trash bag and going to foster care. And the more I've learned about foster care is that is you know a struggle of children is they're they're typically carrying their things around in a trash bag because they might have left in the middle of the night or they don't have luggage. Kids that are being abused don't have luggage. <laughs> and, and you know, if you're you're thinking you're right. about um, the ways that you can help. That's that's definitely one of the ways is actually just providing luggage. But we'll we'll at the end of this episode talk about some more things that that you can do to help children in, in your own community. But you know, talking about sort of going into the system, um, the system is certainly something that saved you from your experience. But I, I would love for you to share kind of what it was like as you went in as kind of a ward of the state. Yeah. Um- as much as I appreciate the foster care system because it honestly did save me, I think it's it's severely broken. Um, and the reason why is that the success rate of any foster kid that graduate from the system is very, very slim to none, really. The reason why is that there is no support group when we're in and there's no, really no support group when we're out in, in that sense. And you have to really think about... Remember where you were when you were 16, 17, and 18. You know, you were probably worrying about maybe boys and the dances and all that stuff. But who can help you get a apartment? Like, how does that even work? You know, you have no credit. You have no job. You have 
no education outside of a high school diploma, getting a job is great, but how do you get housing after that? Like, so all these questions that I had being in the system were not answered in that sense, but being just kind of my cultural background, I value education so much. So I knew that staying in school would eventually save me in that sense. So during my high school years, I just put my head down, study as hard as I could. And then I knew that, you know, from all of the other foster sisters that I was living with, and my social worker actually told me this, and bless her for telling me this, because I actually had no idea that was happening. But she said 30% of you will become homeless, 30% of you become incarcerated, and 30% of you become pregnant, and of 10% of you might make it, and of 10, a few of you will actually make it. So she told me this right before I emancipated. And I was like... And emancipated means what? You basically leave uh, foster care. That's it. That's it. That's it. You So you basically leave foster care. The day you turn 18, you leave your foster home, and there's someone who's going to replace your your position in the foster home. And so you know that for the years as a child, that unless oh, no, you're, you're adopted... You're, yeah, yeah. You're groomed to know that at 18, you have to leave. And that's it. No matter what stuff you have with you, you take it. And no matter where you go, that's it. Once you're 18, you're an adult now and you're no longer worth the court. Foster care to adoption is, is it's possible, but it's usually very rare. Uh, most people in foster care are older kids. So their likelihood to get adopted is very, very, very slim. So that usually is not the mechanism of how foster care works, you know. But knowing that, I just was deathly afraid of being homeless because I know... I wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize me being incarcerated. I didn't have a relationship, so that wasn't important. You know, like, so everything checked. So not not in jail, not pregnant. Yeah, 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 exactly. But maybe make it. <laughs> um, but definitely, I don't want to be homeless. And that was, it scared the living daylights out of me. So at the time when I was in high school, I said, okay, well, the only place that has quote unquote free housing were dormitories. And I'm going to apply to every dorm there was in California I had no idea where they were, what they specialize in, none of that. So I applied to UCI, UCLA, you know, Davis, every, everything. And I got rejected by all of them <laughs> except UC Berkeley. And the miracle is every other UC school, they start on a quarter system, which means that their first day of school is usually in late September. UC Berkeley's first day of school is in late August because they start on a semester system. My birthday is August 28th. That year, the first day in school at UC Berkeley was August 28th. I literally took my stuff, went straight to Cal, and that's how I ended up being in the Bay Area for 10 years because I had no idea where it was. To be honest. I said, I got to go somewhere, and this was the only place that gave me housing, and I left up and I went there. And so that's where you moved into then banking. Yes, yes, exactly. And supporting yourself, and yeah, then your exactly. interest in becoming an actress. Yeah, exactly. So I went to Cal, graduated with an undergrad with psychology, and I really wanted to minor in education because I was doing a lot of that too as well. I also became a peer counselor at the Berkeley Homeless Shelter. I was also a visiting teacher to help start just science programs for more underdeveloped communities. That was all when I was in Cal. I wanted to use that to hopefully get a job in that field, get a job in that field as I had to go back to school to get um, a PsyD or to get like a master in social work or something like that. And I honestly, at the time, I just couldn't afford to go back to school. So I went and got a job in that sense. And then I fell into a banking job. So when I met you, the blog had taken off. Of course, YouTube had already, and you were already one of the biggest influencers in the world. Did you know that at the time? No, I still don't know that now. Like, I, I don't. I don't think, like, my world is, is not shaped like that. Like, I don't think, I just think about what do I need to do today to better myself tomorrow? What can I create that's better tomorrow than the next day? And that that's how I move. So on that perspective, I don't really see outside of 
kind of that, you know? Yeah. So it's funny to hear from you. that. <laughs> when we met, we were going on trips together because you're a top performing influencer. And so we've, you know, traveled to some great places. And I remember you always having really gorgeous content and dresses on top of mountains. And it was just <laughs> dreamy. And it was totally beautiful and perfect always. Um, how has blogging for you and your influence over the last decade evolved? Oh, it's evolved greatly, I, I would say. You know, for me, the mechanism was never to necessarily have big dresses on a mountaintop, you know, I think for me, my motivation's always been, if I can share this particular image with someone and make their day feel better, that's all I wanted, you know, whether it's grand images or images with my cat, you know, like whatever that is. But I think the soul of the brand and the reason why I do what I do is if I can serve your day somehow, whatever that means, I'm more than happy to do it, whether that's sharing an image, sharing an outfit, sharing cats. And I think over the years, that just kind of, I don't know, act of service or that, that call to service has transferred into something else that's more health related, you know? And for me, our opening Artemis in the last basically four months has just been an extension of, of literally that. It's interesting to look back at your career because it feels like you conquered YouTube and then you conquered Instagram. You hit the million followers. You have a very successful blog that was able to, you know, support you. And then now you've jumped into um, a store. How do you make that decision of, yeah. of I've got these big audiences, I'm going to go move into retail and specifically into medical? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think everything that I do and everything that Colin does and everything that we do together has to stem from, from a place that has really core values and core meaning for us, you know? So how I discovered CBD was very natural. So from all of the experience that I shared earlier, you know, growing up and, and all that with the foster care system. So I was diagnosed with PTSD when I was 15 and a half, 16. I wasn't medicated until I was actually 20. I was actually diagnosed with depression when I was actually 19. Because of the abuse that was happening, uh, my pelvic floor actually was damaged during this whole whole thing. And so I started developing pelvic floor spasms. And a pelvic floor spasm feels like a UTI, but it's not a UTI. And then because it feels like a UTI and the spasming, there are sometimes that would be coupled with the UTI. So given all this, I've been medicated on antibiotics for the last 20 years to the point where they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So they gave me small doses of antibiotics that I took every day for years and years and years to the point where I developed a resistance to major antibiotics that are out there already. And I think when I, you know, just maybe a few years ago, I, I think I was just really sick of feeling sick. Really, that's what it was. Like every time I took an antibiotics, I would, I feel nauseous. I would feel sick all the time. And I just didn't want to do anything. And even though I would get up to go to work because, you know, th that's part of your day. But inside, I just felt like I was on fire half the time. And I wanted a more holistic approach to it. And for someone like me, I've never been into that, to be honest with you. You know, like that type of care and health, like to me, it wasn't something that was on top of mind. because you mean kind of organic care and health? Yeah, exactly. Because I always thought, I'll just take my antibiotics that's been prescribed to me by a doctor and he must know what's right, you know? And until it didn't work anymore and it didn't work anymore, it didn't work anymore, then I realized maybe I need to take this into my own hands. But it took me 20 years to make that decision. And I want to do something for myself and find the solution for myself. And that's how I stumbled on CBD in that sense. And it really greatly improved my quality of life. And because of that, I just wanted to share this again with the world. And I thought 
at this stage of the CBD development, it was still too young for us to have necessarily an online shop because we wanted the personal touch. We wanted anyone to come in to actually tell us about what you're going through and how we can titrate you and how we can actually offer dosing suggestions and then really look at your body in a full helicopter holistic view because I felt like no one did that with me when I was going through all of my medical challenges. So when I came this week to New York, I came straight from the airport and I logged your retail location in Manhattan in my (laughs) transportation app and showed up at your door. And I have to tell you, that was such an exciting feeling to show up and see that this beautiful retail store that you've built. And I've, of course, followed all of your digital experiences. And now we have this physical location where you can walk in and see Wendy every day. And you were standing there (laughs) smiling and so gracious to show us kind of around your shop. How do you think that the skills that you've learned through influencing have manifested in now your your physical location? You know, I think the core principles have always been there. And again, I think it goes back to sharing, right? So we don't sell anything. Um, Colin and I have a, a very strong value in a sense where we're not selling you products at all. We're just sharing information. So when a client comes in and goes, what should I buy? We usually do not suggest anything. We go, can I share with you the extraction method, where this is formulated, what's in it, and can I ask your allergies? Are you allergic to anything? Like, so from there, we curate maybe a few selections that you might enjoy, that your body might be receptive to. And from there, we hope to empower you with the decision to buy on your own. You know, But we honestly share information. And if you walk into the store, like, like what you saw, there's education boards everywhere. There's a huge education board that shares about all the delivery methods and the mechanisms. And next to basically our shelving space, there's education boards next to that too as well. So for us, it's just an extension of just who we are in regards to, we just want to share this to the world and how it affects you. We want to be a part of that journey. So we provide a dosing journal, we provide a titration journal, and a lot of clients, they'll they'll do that. They'll come back and they'll bring us their journal and we'll follow up with them. And we love, love that process. Like that honestly brings me so much joy than like, great, that one oil got sold. You know what I mean? It's more like when you come back and you go, that worked and you know it really helped with my pain and like what's the next step? And we can actually help you just go along with your wellness journey. So a lot of people will ask you about the influencer industry. Oh, so you get a lot of followers, you get a lot of likes and then you have a business. And you know, I think you've just touched on something that's really critical about the influencer industry and really all industries is that the reason that Wendy has had success across all of these platforms is because she really cares and she's being a guide for you, whether it's 25 ways to wear a scarf and being super helpful in the way that she formats and shows you how you can do it yourself, regardless of who you are or the outfits that she's showing on her like to know it page every day and, and how to style those and where to get the good deals and how to, to mix and match and now has manifest itself into a retail concept of something that's helped you and then you're helping other people. And I have to tell you, I know nothing about CBD or THC or, you know, I'm, I'm not a drug user. I'm a drinker. I'll have drinks with the best of them. But tell us, for those of us who just don't know anything about CBD, what is that? Okay, I love this one. So CBD is a cannabinoid. It's a compound that can be found in the cannabis plant, marijuana plant, or the hemp plant. They are two different plants. Think of them as broccoli and cauliflower, two different plants. The family plant is cannabis sativa. Under that, hemp, and under that is basically cannabis or marijuana. The cannabis plant, let's just say marijuana for now. I know it's a very slang term, but it kind of differentiates us from cannabis sativa and then you know cannabis. So the marijuana plant produces high amounts of THC and very little amount of CBD. And the reason why that is is that through time, it's been bred for recreational use, right? The hemp plant, on the other hand, also produces THC, 
but very little of it, and high volumes of CBD. The hemp plant has been around for over 5,000 years. It's a very, very old medicinal plant that is now what it feels like a fad to be reintroduced back to the public, but it's been around for a very long time. Hemp extraction was used to treat headaches before aspirin was invented. Hemp was used for rope and for paper before basically cotton was made and wood was made for other other functions. So hemp as a tree has been around for, as a plant has been around for a very long time. So every product that we carry at Artemis is hemp-derived CBD. So naturally, it has to have under 0.3% THC dry weight, meaning that it's very low in the THC size, so there, the psychoactive effect is not there for you, but it's still there because it helps bind with the receptors, therefore giving you a much more fuller, robust effect, what they call basically an entourage effect, where there's other cannabinoids in addition to CBD to help assist it throughout your body. So you've got a big job, <laughs> um, and then you have all of these other platforms. Is it possible to be an influencer and also be a CEO of a, of a new organization? That's a great question, Amber. You know what? I think that if you have the love for it, you make the time for it. You know, So for me, I do all of my Wendy's lookbook planning and everything during the morning, and then I, I go to the shop, and I'm staring at the shop from 1 to closing, which is 8 o'clock. Then at nighttime, I work on all of Artemis's materials. So we find time for it, like in that sense, but we love it. Like we love the combat. Like it's crazy because before at home, Colin and I would be listening to the radio or music. Now we listen to extraction methods. You know what I mean? Like, like deep level extraction methods by these doctors and scientists. And we listen to FDA studies. So like that is our TV now, you know, and it's very natural. Like it's not like something that we are, are giving up anything to, to have this in our lives. So for, for us, Artemis is just honestly an extension of who we are, what we love. And for Colin, you know, his mom went through breast cancer and she actually didn't beat it. So for him, it, there's so many clients who come in seeking for answers for that particular ailment. And we never say, this is the magic bullet that's going to save you. That's not what it is. Um, but we can here to help you navigate the space if you need something. Um, but for him, it's a very personal story of how he got into it too. You know, so for both of us, it's just been more of a healing process, but it's a very scientific process for us. Like we love the compound. It's not a fad to us. It's just, it's compound related. Wendy, when we first met and you were, you know, producing a lot of these videos, I remember you guys having these like luggage suitcases of like these massive, I mean, it looked like a TV crew, honestly, all the gear that it took to create these beautiful photos. How have kind of your tools and processes evolved? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I think back then, too, you have to imagine this was about eight, nine, ten years ago where equipment was not as slim and as powerful as as it is now. So back then, we were filming with large equipment because we wanted the best visual quality possible. Now you can do that much better in, in a smaller setting, camera-wise. But I think, you know, as you evolve, your content evolves, your equipment will evolve. I mean, that's just the, kind of the way it is. As you respond to your supporters and to your readers and to anyone else out there, you know, receiving this, this imagery or this content, you are going to have to evolve with that. So for me, my phone is my biggest tool now. Before it wasn't. Because before, you know, I don't think the quality was there, to be honest with you, to capture those like selfie moments or to capture those moments. So, um, and then, you know, for us, we shoot on a mirrorless 
right? That, that was not available. A mirrorless camera, right? Because it's smaller. So uh, we shoot on a Sony mirrorless camera, and it's smaller than the heavy uh, cannons that we were carrying before, you know. So my camera now can fit in my bag. You know, before I couldn't even do that, right? And I think for now, too, we do podcasts now. So the medium of equipment is also changing, you know. And now, because we also listen to so many podcasts, we try to add value to that space by creating our own podcast, touching on CBD and particular ailments and just the scientific side of it. So I think as you grow, as your audience grows, as who you are grows, your mission grows, your equipment will also change. And I think that's the magic of it. So are you now a CBD influencer? Oh my gosh, I don't know about that. I think that's a hard one. Um, no, I think I am a lover of all things. Um, I love fashion. I love cats. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I love um, science. I love um, neurochemistry. I love you know CBD as a compound. Um, and I love studying just ailments that we hope to help. So I think all of that is who I am, but... It's hard for me to say that I'm like one or the other in that sense. And I think that's what it is too. I think the magic of who we are today and the stories that we tell today, you can be a lot of things like you, right? You're a CEO, you're a mom, you're an influencer, you're a fashionista, like all that comes with who Amber is. And I think that's, to me, is the most magical part of it. Okay. So jumping to something that's just a little bit more practical for our our listeners. So as your tools have evolved, you've named some of the tools that you use. Are there any like editing apps or tools that you use or kind of like cheats or tips or tricks that our listeners can apply today to their own businesses, whether it is they're creating materials for their own offline business or they're, um, you know, starting out in the influencer industry. Yeah. Um, for me, what helped me most was that if I can be organized, that would just help me throughout the day a lot. And organization takes place at the home. So I clean my place every morning because I, I want to have a clear space. Um, I also use Planoli a lot to organize all of my photos before posting both for Artemis and for Winnie's lookbook. I have a very strict calendar of all shooting in that sense. And whatever I'm shooting, I would match the scenarios to that or the location I want to shoot against the outfit. So everything is is pre-planned just to help the flow of things and just to help making sure that the content's produced the way we want it to produce it. But when it comes to equipment, I love mirrorless cameras. We shoot all of uh, Artemis' content on the Sony mirrorless that we have and also the blog side too as well. I love the 50 lens. I think it's a great versatile lens that can be shot close up and also far out. It's a great travel lens too as well. Um, and then for, you know, podcasts, it's pretty standard podcast equipment, very small, compact. I can actually take in a luggage and move it everywhere I need to if I need to conduct more interviews outside of, you know, the space that we have. So I think those are more on the practical tip side. But I think once you get into a workflow that you enjoy, it's going to be the most beneficial for you. You have to really enjoy the process. I think that's the biggest thing. Choosing to be an influencer is a job choice. It is a career choice. And so the organization becomes really important. Yes, exactly right. And, you know, honestly, I think it's the best job in the world. You know, I was a banker once, you know, and I I did other other jobs too. I was a hostess. I did a whole bunch of other jobs. and, And I enjoy blogging and content creating so much more because it gives you so much freedom but with that freedom comes with a lot of responsibility right that you have to be able to manage your time efficiently manage your workflow manage the content material manage the feedback with your audience so like all that becomes a part of the business but I think it is the most creative part of the business too as well. Wendy, thank you for sharing so much of your soul with us today and being so generous with your story. I really do believe that you are going to be able to help people and help people know how to help people by what you've shared. 
And I think this has been the most eloquent way that anyone has ever communicated that it's really success and influencer is about your heart and it's about the things that you love and communicating the things that you love and really sharing those with other people as you continue to share what you love where are the places that we can find you and what can we find there <laughs> you can find me on uh, my blog my post if i might like to know it for all of the office outfits that i post i also think you know Working in a shop does not restrain me to wearing, you know, shop attire. You know what I mean? So I still am who I am at the shop. I love, love fashion. And Colin does too. So he has outfits that, you know, that he's sharing too as well. So it's just a part of us really more than anything else. And then you can find me on, I have a podcast, Artemis Radio. Where we talk about CBD and um, the effects of CBD. We sit with Dr. Junella Chin for that. And then if you're ever in New York, come by the store. Like, you know, we're on 87 Christopher. I'm in the West Village. Knock on wood, we would love to be there for a long time you know having a brick and motor store shop you know it comes with a lot of responsibility different from an online store so we know that coming in so we just we love the process we love being there and we hope to be there for as long as we can in that sense so follow wendy online at wendy's lookbook and come visit her in new york on christopher street yes To shop Wendy's New York City street style, her shop looks, and gorgeous travel wardrobe, follow her at Wendy's Lookbook in the Like to Know It app. Wendy's story of survival is familiar to so many people around the world. To put this epidemic into perspective, every 92 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted, and every nine minutes, that victim is a child. If you or anyone you know is a victim of sexual abuse or assault, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline, 800-856-HOPE. If you're interested in supporting survivors or getting involved, please visit casa.com, that's casa.com, to learn more about being a court-appointed special advocate. Wendy has taken the darkness of her childhood and channeled it into a passion for fighting for those in and out of foster care and young people who are currently or formerly incarcerated. She's established the Wendy's Lookbook Foundation, providing emergency housing, medical, educational, and financial support to young adults impacted by abuse and those who are in the juvenile justice system. The Like to Know It app is the only place where you can go to search for products and get 100% shoppable results, all in the context of the lives of real, influential people who use those products. Search for products like trench coat, over-the-knee boots, stroller, white marble table, and get results from real people who use them. Like to Know It product search gives you an incredible contextual experience that cannot be found anywhere else. Join our community by downloading the Like to Know It app on the App Store and Google Play.